Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. So 2 Corinthians 5 in your Bibles is where I want you. Uh, ironically enough, I had planned it out a while ago that today was not going to be a full sermon. Um, uh, it's going to be something unique. And, and what I want to do is I want to start out with where we've been. And when you think about that, you might think, oh, in this series called Mission. No, actually, I'm talking about where we've been all the way back since April, right? I don't know if you can recall, hopefully you do, at the end of April, uh, uh, we preached uh, through what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and we looked at Jesus' invitation in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, follow me, and I will make you become what? Fishers of men. And what we learned from that was that in the process of discipleship, we follow Jesus, and as we're following him, he's shaping us and molding us, or another word for that was what? Transforming us. He's, he's transforming us for mission. And so for, for many months now, we've been in this two-part massive series called Transformed for Mission. And the series Transformed kick off, kicked off on May 9th, on May 9th, Mother's Day. And for 11 weeks, we explored spiritual growth, spiritual formation. How do we become more like Christ? If you didn't listen to that sermon, it's online on our website, waynesborofm.com forward slash sermons. And then from there, on August 8th, we transitioned to a series called Mission. And we've been in that for 10 weeks now. This is the 11th week where we've gone through uh, God's word and what it has to say about our mission and our values. And in and, and keeping with the tradition of the last 10 weeks, uh, begging your forgiveness for being so persistent and asking you to say it over and over again, we're going to start with our mission. What is our mission? To multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and our values are what? Christ-centered families, intimate communities of discipleship, radical hospitality, vibrant prayer, and cross-cultural mission. No slow claps? Okay. Y'all did well. Yep. Well done. Again, if you missed any of that series, any of that, those sermons, they're available. WaynesboroFM.com forward slash sermons. They're available for free. For free. We're wrapping up today this whole series, this whole process in a, in a short sermonette that uh, I ironically decided to title, Your Mission Should You Choose to Accept It. <laughs> Don't worry, I will not be blowing up after I deliver this message. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. We've been here before, and I'm going to tell you today, I'm, I'm not doing this text justice. I don't think anybody could, ever could fully, and, 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 and I'm just touching on a few points. But let's start reading in verse 16. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Guys, we got first, it's like almost two-parted in this, right? We, we see this uh, starting off right off the bat about how we've been made new, how we've been transformed, how we are new creatures with a new identity, with a new heart, with a new purpose, a new mission, a new everything about us, a new nature, new desires. You're not caught or trapped in the old ways. You have been brought into the new. Amen? Then we get to verse 18. Let me read that for you again. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, we hear that word reconciliation repeated multiple times in this passage, which means it's one of the main themes that we need to look at. Guys, the gospel, which is a a word that technically just means good news. The gospel is good news about reconciliation at its core. It's good news of reconciliation. The word reconciliation, uh, what do do we think of when we hear that word? We think of balancing the accounts on a ledger, right? That's in part, but actually the, the original meaning of this word reconciliation, especially in this context, especially in the Greek language, it means to change from enmity to friendship, to restore a relationship by making or negotiating peace. And this is something that God initiated, which is what Paul further on explains in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So in one sense, what Ethan, is, uh, what Ethan talked about earlier, what the kids are learning today, is that, that uh, originally we're at enmity with God. We're not born friends of God, we're born enemies of God. And that's a hard truth to swallow. And so we've been born in this condition. We need rescue out of enmity with God. We need to be restored back to right relationship with God. And how is he going to do that? Verse 19 says, he's not going to count our trespasses against us. That's how he does it. He doesn't count our trespasses against us to reconcile us. In other words, Our sin causes this great ledger of debt to continue to grow and grow and grow. And and our sin incurs it. And yet he made a way to reconcile the accounts. A way for us to balance and restore our relationship. To bring us out of enmity back into relationship with God. So so when we think of the gospel, we think first off like of, of a transaction, right? He got our sin, we got his righteousness, Imputation is the theological term for it. You're not wrong when you say that, 
But if that's all we think about when we think of the gospel, we're missing out on the best part. That transaction happened so that we could be back in reconciliation with God. Enmity no more, friends of God, yes. That relationship status changes. We are friends with God now. That's the gospel. And here's what's so crazy, though. In light of this concept of reconciliation, Paul speaks to those who have been reconciled by faith in Christ. He speaks to those specifically when he says in verse 18 that we are entrusted. We are entrusted. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. We are entrusted. Look at verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through the person of Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted it to us. When you think of the word minister, point to who you think of. Typically, it's me. Is that biblical? No. Who are ministers of the gospel? I don't have enough fingers. It's all of us. The word minister actually more accurately means servant. And the word ministry more accurately means service. Now, we're not talking like an auto tune-up over at Valvoline where Austin can fix your oil problems. No, we're talking about I see your needs and I'm going to submit myself to your needs and serve them. So we who have been reconciled back to God, every single one of us who are in Christ have been given, we've been entrusted with the service of reconciliation, with the ministry of reconciliation. And look at how Paul describes that in verse 20. He says, therefore we are, that's a fun word, isn't it? Ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. You know what would be a good church name? The embassy. (laughs) Technically, that's what we are. We're an embassy of heaven. And we each are ambassadors. An ambassador is one who represents the authority and will of another at its basic. And, And in this case, we represent God's desire to reconcile the world back to himself. We get to communicate that. We get to represent that to the world. He's entrusted that to us, the ministry of reconciling people back to God. We have that. That's ours. We've been entrusted with it. Why on earth God would decide to, in the, in the infinitude of his character, say, yeah, I want to use them. I know I could do it much better than they can. They're going to stumble along the way, but goodness, I'd rather use them. I don't have the answer for why, but all I know is we've been entrusted with it. Not only have we been entrusted, not only are we entrusted, but we are also equipped. Can you say equipped for me? One, two, three. Equipped. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's the gospel. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So we've been entrusted with the service, with the ministry of reconciliation. And not only that, but he said, hey, 
here's all you need for it. You've got all you need. You're a well-equipped poop people. Not poop. I don't know why I said poop. You're a well-equipped people. You're never going to hear that come out of my mouth again. We've been equipped with the message of reconciliation. If you guys can remember Romans 10 last week, we talked about it. He says, this message is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. The message of faith that we proclaim is this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved out of enmity with God, rescued from that into friendship with God. And then he goes on last week, we talked about how can people enjoy friendship with God? How can people call on the name of Jesus if they don't hear the message of reconciliation? So we do what verse 20 says. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. This is the message that we go out into the world with. Be reconciled to God. Be restored back to him. How? What's the the message of reconciliation that reconciles us back to God? Look at verse 21. A verse we ought to have memorized and stored deep in our hearts. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This this is how God didn't count our sins against us. When he saw the ledger of our sin, he said, I'm not going to count that against them, but I'm a just God and it deserves wrath. And he decided that that whole account of debt he was going to place on his perfect, sinless son. He laid them on his own son who knew no sin and then gave us his sinlessness, his righteousness. And then we're reconciled to the Father. This message, this good news, reconciles sinners back to a holy God. And guess what? It's not by any of your works. It's not by what you do. It's not by how good you are, how successful you are, how attractive you are, nor is it limited by your brokenness, by how depraved you may feel or lost you may seem. All we do is believe this truth by faith. So we we are, what was the first E word that we use? We are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. We are, say it, equipped with the message of reconciliation. But here's the big question for the day and the question that we have to ask ourselves at the end of talking about our mission and our values, the big question, we are entrusted, we are equipped, are we engaged? And I'm not talking about your Facebook relationship status, about whether or not you're proposed to or something. I'm talking about if we've been entrusted and we've been equipped, are we engaged in that? Are are you and I right now engaged 
in the ministry of reconciliation, wielding the message of reconciliation. In other words, are, are, are we engaged, let's localize it to our mission, are we engaged in multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Are we doing that? Is that what's true about us? I hope you're asking the question, well, I, I, I don't know, how do we measure that? How do we know? How, how do we know? What, 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 what tickers on the scoreboard do we have to know whether or not we're actually winning the game of accomplishing our mission? What are we tracking? How do, how do we know how to measure this? Whether or not we really are engaged, whether or not our mission actually really is our mission and our values really are our values, or they're just simply liturgy. How do we know? Is it, is it just because I'm talking about it that means that we're engaged in it? No. No, no, no. How can we know if a church values the ministry and the message of reconciliation? How do you, how do you know what a church truly values? What our, what our church's true identity is? Is it, is it, like if we go to waynesborofm.com forward slash about us, is it because it's up there that that means it's true about us? No. If only it was that easy. I mean, is the fact that we literally have repeated our mission and values for the last 10 weeks, almost twice every Sunday, is the fact that we repeat it in our liturgies, is, is that meaning that we're actually engaged in this? No. Guys, the only way that we can answer this question, are we engaged in the ministry with the message? is by looking into the routine life of the majority of the people in this body. That's the only way. It's not to look up from there to the pulpit and see what's being preached on. It's not what kind of songs we sing. It's literally, what does your day-to-day -day routine look like, church? Once we look at that, then we can really know, are we engaged in this? When, when engaging in this mission is a normal part of the culture among us, when it's a routine fixture in the life of our body, in the majority of the people who belong here, then I believe we can answer this question, yes, we are engaged. But until then, until then, I don't know how to say it other than I don't know if it's really our mission and our values. Other than just hearsay and talk. Until it's true about the nature of this church, not just the language. Our mission to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ by holding dearly the values of, of Christ-centered families, intimate communities of discipleship, radical hospitality, vibrant prayer, and cross-cultural mission it will only really truly be our mission and our values when I can look out into the body, when Jesus can look out into the body of our church and say, yeah, most of the people there, they're living this. They're really cherishing this. Friends, we, we cannot commend to the world what we do not cherish. We just, actually, we don't. We just don't. We commend the things that we cherish. And you know what 
what's so hard about this is that there's not a single part of our mission or our values that we can accomplish by mere programming, by starting up a new ministry. Just, it doesn't get accomplished that way. It's impossible. Try as all we might to institute some sort of program in our church that's going to accomplish our mission to, do, to multiply faithful followers and, and, and hold our values. No matter what we try, the only way, the only way where we can truly say our mission and our values truly are among us is when you decide it's yours. Your mission should you choose to accept it, is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. God's word says you've been entrusted with that ministry, with that service, and you've been equipped for that. You have all that you need. to be a part of the mission. You're not lacking anything right now. You've been entrusted, you've been equipped, but church, are you engaged? I think it would be appropriate for me to answer in part, yeah, I I think we are. And and I, I don't think it, does well for you to hear that from me Uh, because I might have ulterior motives to say, yeah, we're we're, we're a great church accomplishing our mission. Just come and be a part of us, right? No, no, actually, you know how we can do this is we can look into the life of our body and say, hey, how are you doing this? And so that's what we're gonna do right now. Uh, I asked a few people that I believe are uniquely contributing to the mission of our church to come up and share a little bit about what they're doing. So at this time, I would love to have Joseph Gibson. I'd love to have Austin McClanahan, Debbie Pierce, uh, Janet Hankey, and um, Dave Simpson. Come on up. And, and, and what we're going to do now is, is I'm just going to have a, a, a brief interview session with them, asking them a few questions to show you not only that we are but also give you some ideas on how you can be engaged too. So we're going to start with uh, Sir Joseph the Galliant. If you'd come forward, sir. This is Joseph Gibson. This is yours. Uh, Tell everybody what you do for a living. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at Liberty University. And what what do you teach? Uh, Primarily introduction to college-level research and philosophy. What is your education specifically in, your training, Um, and your heart's raging desire? (laughs) Uh, Philosophy and theology. It's the good stuff. So, Joseph, um, when it comes to Christ-centered families, how are you engaging in the mission of this church by living out the value of Christ-centered families in your own home? It's a difficult thing question to answer shortly. (laughs) Um, 
a large part of it is sustained and intentional focus on Jesus. Jesus, his teachings, and Jesus himself. Um, As parents, uh, Abby and I, like, we really need to have that in our lives if we're going to lead our children. And so part of that is us partnering together and giving each other time to have uh, time set aside where we can intentionally and deliberately, with a decent bit of time, focus on Jesus and his teaching and develop that relationship. Um, And children are natural disciples. They do what you do. They learn from you how to be like you. And so that personal relationship with Jesus and learning from him how to be like him is just incredibly important. And that aspect of living that out and teaching it to them. There's both of those things that are like interwoven with each other. Um, And I thought I'd maybe give like two or three examples. Um, The one example is like almost all parents, uh, uh, Abby and I are not perfect and we stumble. What? Uh, I say almost all because there's one parent, there's one father who is perfect. And one of the things that I've noticed is usually when Abby and I have made a mistake or done something wrong, usually the children have done something wrong as well. (laughs) They've been misbehaving and we have responded uh, with anger or with impatience um, from that. And so there's usually a situation in which love and forgiveness is needed from both parties. And I think one of the things that uh, I've really tried to do is focus on um, apologizing and asking forgiveness Mm. from my children. And this recognition that I'm a person who's under authority, uh, that I have responsibilities and obligations to them, and that I fail and I fall short, but that there's someone who loves me and will help me. And the children, uh, bless their, just amazing sweethearts, they always respond with forgiveness. And I think every time that I've done that, they've also asked for forgiveness for what they've done. And that living it out, that living out love and forgiveness, that opens the door for, the, for that teaching as well, for saying, you know what, kids? This is what Jesus does with us. He forgives us. He puts it aside like we never sinned. And he is happy to like join in relationship with us. Um, and the, the other one that I thought is, you know, sometimes the, the kids do um, wrong and they need to be taught that what they're doing is harmful to themselves and to others and that it's wrong. And so they need to be disciplined. But a, a challenge for me as a parent is teaching them uh, like what you're doing is wrong and you need to be disciplined for this but that that does not affect my love for you, my relationship with you. And so there's been times where I've had like uh, Joanna, our our oldest daughter, something sit in time out. And so it's like, you know, you need to sit in time out. And I'll go and sit on the floor next to her in time out as a way of saying like, look, like what you did is wrong and you have to understand that 
that I love you and I will be here with you. Even when you've made a mistake, even when you've done something wrong, even when you're facing the repercussions of that, I love you and I will be with you. And this does not change um, our relationship with each other. And uh, so I think those are two examples. I don't know if I'm at my time limit. If you feel like you need to say more, this is your witness, man. Um, I think I had one other example. Oh, you came with notes. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the, the other thing that I said was, was about language. One thing that um, I've really tried to emphasize is never, ever, ever calling them a bad child never calling them a bad girl and saying, you are a good girl, you are loved, but what you did was wrong. Mm. And um, I think it can be easy to lash out and to try and um, attack other people and to devalue them and to say, you are bad, you are wrong, you are this, you are that. And I think that that's one of the, uh, um, it's a very uh, prevalent and damaging lie, right? God loves you. God accepts you. While we were still sinners, God died for us. God sent his son into a broken and hurting world filled with sinners so that he could condemn the world? No, so that he could save the world because he loves the world. And so part of, um, part of that is learning that you are loved and you are valued despite what you have done wrong, but despite your shortcomings. And I think as a parent, learning to change your language and never saying, you're bad, you're a bad girl, you're this, you're that, but saying, you are a good girl, you are valuable, you are loved, mommy and daddy care about you deeply, but what you did was wrong, and it's because we love you, it's because we care about you, that we don't want to see you doing these bad things. And so I think there again, that like the way that you interact with your children, your behavior towards them and your words towards them are ways of um, saying, how is it that we can look to Christ and say, that's what a father looks like. That's what a child looks like. That's what we're to be like. And as we get ourselves in conformity with him, it changes our relations with our children, and it also helps our children to see what God is like and to direct their lives towards being like him. Amen. Guys, so I wanted both Joseph and his wife, Abby, up here to share about this, but most of our wives are on a retreat and we've been surviving by the skin of our teeth these last few months. But um, I know that Joseph and Abby would be more than willing to talk to anybody who wants to engage in the mission of multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ in their own homes by centering the home on Christ. So if you want to meet with him after, I know that he would... I'm speaking... Oh, yeah. for, yep, okay. <laughs> awesome. I might have two girls climbing on top. <laughs> Good luck to you. Um, thank you, Joseph. Austin, if you'd come forward now. So Austin, uh, this is uh, Austin McClanahan. Um, let me ask you this first. Uh, how long ago did you give your life to Jesus? Uh, about four or five years ago. Okay. Yeah. And what do you do for a living? I'm an assistant manager at Valvoline. I basically just work on cars and oil changes, stuff like that. All right. Yeah. Go see him. I get you a discount. 
So, ooh. Family discount. <laughs> Family, I like it. So let me ask you this. What's one thing that you're doing to engage in the mission by living out the value of intimate communities of discipleship? Yeah, so um, at my job, there's a high volume of people that come in. And uh, I always, you know, classic, hey, how are you doing today? And, you know, 95% of people just say, I'm good. And that's good. Um, but every once in a while, you'll see somebody struggle. You'll see somebody say, you know what, I'm just having a really rough day. I'm having a tough week. There's this. I've had people that have lost their husbands a month ago, and they don't know how to do anything with their car coming in and, and just pouring into this. And, you know, it, sadden me, it saddens me before I got saved. People would say that. I would just say, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to say to these people. You know, it's like I wasn't expecting you to actually tell me how you're doing. Um, but now that I've been saved... I've seen how Christ has provided moments in my life where people, and he's providing people in these positions where he wants me to be intimate with them. He wants me to see how they're doing, what's going on. And a lot of the times, it's usually things that I've, I've struggled with myself or just something that I can see Christ is ready to pour into them. And not being afraid to, to dive in, not just throwing Bible verses at them, but just being intimate with them, loving them the way Jesus wants us to love them. Um, putting myself aside, putting my ego, my fear of, of uh, being embarrassed in front of them, putting that aside and letting Christ thrive in that moment, uh, letting Christ be at the center of that. And it's just simple as just being there with them, um, comforting them, loving on them in any way possible. Um, and it's gotten to a point where I now have eight or ten people that I talk to on a regular basis, I meet with them, and, and we're discipling with each other. Not Austin, you know, pulling them in, but Christ being so involved with our relationship with each other that we can be intimate, that we can, that we can live life together and build each other up through Christ. And it's, 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 it's blown my mind the way seeing God's work and just at my, at my job where I spend 10 hours and most of the time I'm just, oh God, I really want to get to lunch. I'm trying to get home right now. But um, there's plenty of times where God points my focus and he provides a moment with somebody that he provided for me when I was a wretched sinner and had, was so lost and didn't have anywhere to go. He provided that for me. And uh, the least I could do is be there and open myself up and be vulnerable to somebody that I've never met in my life, someone that I've never seen in the community that I live in, but he wants me to be intimate. He wants me to love them the way Jesus wants us to love people. And uh, it's, 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 uh, <clears throat> it's been remarkable. It's, it's, I can't even describe the feeling of seeing the way God works. Um, and it's not Austin doing these things. I'm just standing there as a witness to his glory and to his kingdom. I'm, I'm so dead and I'm remade in the light of Christ. So I owe him everything. I owe him every single moment he wants me to have, every moment that he wants to share his glory, every moment he wants me to share his testimony for his glory, not mine. I'm doing it because I owe him everything. He's given me a path. He's given me the light. It's narrow, but he's given it to me. And I trust me, I do not deserve it. I do not deserve salvation at all. But he loves me so much that he gives me that. And it's up to me to share that same testimony, to share that glory to anybody so I can live with them, to be intimate in the community of discipleship. Absolutely. And it's, it's powerful and uh, just amazing. God's so good. Let me ask you this question. Um, are, are you currently in any kind of relationship where, so it sounds like you're engaging in the mission outwardly that way. Is there any relationship where you're being invited into and you're being discipled? 
uh, in an intimate community? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're saying like someone discipling me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's, a, you know, you of course, and then also Bruce Hank is a big guy um, that if I feel like I'm struggling with something or I'm just not being faithful or something's hurting me inside, I know I have a couple um, brothers and mentors I can go to that I know it's not them just putting their opinions in me, but them showing me what Christ has in store for me, showing me what Christ says about the things I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't expect myself to disciple somebody if I don't have somebody discipling to me. Um, mm-hmm. And that all comes from Christ all the way down. And uh, it's, just, it's just, it's beautiful that we don't do this alone. Mm-hmm. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters. And there's nothing that we're struggling with that we can't go to a brother with or a sister with. And, uh, but it's just beautiful that we don't have to rely on our own needs, but God's grace upon us for those moments. Amen. It's comforting. Now, are you, are, are you a part of any life group? Yes, I am part of the young adult life group with Joseph. Uh, I'm not going to name everyone, but he uh, helps lead. And we meet at Ethan Colvin's house. And uh, it's just, uh, it's, you know, we all have kids and we all understand the, the chaos that's going to come when we meet at that house. Amen. Um, but there is a light in that chaos, yeah. which, is, which is beautiful. You know, it's nothing better than crying your eyes out for Christ while my son's pulling my hair and... <laughs> Smacking me, but uh, I think that life groups, um, if you're not involved in one right now, definitely look into it, dive into it, because talking about intimacy, it's there. That's where you find it. Um, you know, church is so beautiful. You know, we get to meet on Sunday and worship and praise, and we talk a little bit before we go, but there's also beautiful church that happens throughout each week um, that you get to grow closer with people, and when you're really struggling, you just feel even deeper with them to connect, and it's beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. Praise God. Yeah. Thanks for Thank sharing, man. I appreciate it. Um, next, it's going to be Debbie. No, actually, Radical Hospitality. Intimate Community. Yeah, Radical Hospitality. Janet. See, just takes a little bit to keep up, right? Janet Hankey. Uh, Janet, I, I know that you are enjoying retirement. Yes. Uh, what did you do as a career? I was a middle school teacher for 21 years, and then when I moved down here, I taught weekday religious education for six years. Cool. Awesome. Now, when it, when it comes to the, uh, the value of, of radical hospitality, how are you in living that out and, living, uh, and engaging in our mission here? I think, well, first of all, I believe that God is the example of hospitality, that he made this world and he invited us yeah. to live in it. And so Jesus was an example, and following, following the example of Jesus and hospitality, um, Jesus was a good Samaritan who helped the person who was wounded and took him to a place so they could have safety and be cared for. Mm-hmm. And I think about Jesus, um, when the disciples were out in the boat, he's the one who was cooking the fire and making them, so he made the bread, for, he made the fish and he made the bread. Um, I just think that he's our example of hospitality. Um, and everything that we have comes from him since he put us here. So everything we have is not ours, it's, it's his. So I think that uh, when you realize that, you start thinking about how God can use you. Mm-hmm. And when you're retired, it's, it's a little different than when you're out and, out and about. And so um, every place we've lived, we've kind of said, God, this is your house. And we want to share and be an instrument of whatever you desire us to be. And so in the, in the past, we've invited 
people who are in jail and get out or have drug problems and get out. So eventually people that we know know that we are open to that. Now we don't always say, always say yes, but we're, we're open. And they might come to us and ask, would you take my niece in? She just got out of jail. Or my neighbor is struggling in, with drugs or something else. And so right now, um, an easy one is that somebody, if people in the area know that uh, we have an extra place for them to stay, they might, we've said out loud, um, anybody who's going to a funeral or going to a wedding and then people from out of state, they can come and we'll let them stay at our house because hotels are expensive. And so we open that up to people. They can come and stay in our home in our, in our basement. We were very fortunate that when we built this house and the last house, we just made the basement uh, an open space, so then we just provided room. Uh, we also, um, up until August of this year, we had a lady who was a school teacher in this area. And uh, then she uh, went to Liberty and taught for a while, and unfortunately, she had some really bad things happen to her, and she had no place to live, she lost her job, and so she stayed with us for a year and a half. Uh, just to get herself together, and um, unfortunately, her, her um, mental capacities have kept falling further down, so now that she is in a, in a nursing home. Hmm. Uh, wow. Well, opening up your home to strangers. Sounds I, literally lover of strangers, hospitality. Sounds. I think the other thing is that hospitality is not entertaining. It's, it's not people coming into your house and saying, look at my nice house, look at how, me, 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 it's all about me. That's entertaining. Hospitality means what I have to share, I share because God gave it to me and I want to share it with someone else. And so it releases our hands and lets God kind of pour into us and we can pour into them. And so it's not just inviting in your house. It could be Sunday you might see somebody who's new and you can say, you go to lunch with us and, uh, or invite us back to our house and just show them that we're not perfect so we'll order pizza or uh, rotisserie chicken, so they're not feeling like this is a perfect meal and we're preparing and making them feel uncomfortable. And remembering that God gave us everything and that we should not expect any in return. Because sometimes our guests don't always uh, respond the way we were hoping they would, but it's God's, it's God's call. Amen. Well, thank you, Janet. Mm -hmm. If you guys have any questions about that, I mean, obviously with Austin and with Janet about radical hospitality, discipleship, please talk to them as well. I'm sure they would be glad to serve you. Thank you, Janet. Debbie. So, Debbie, Hello. Uh, what do you do for a living? All right. I'm a registered nurse at Augusta Health, and in the past, I'm also a public school teacher, art and English. Um, I'd also taught college, and um, I, I'm starting a, my own business in art. Ooh. And yeah, so I'm excited about that. Cool. Well, thanks, God. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Uh, uh, what is one thing that you're doing to engage in the mission by living out the value of vibrant prayer? Okay. So I brought my notes because you said that yeah, keep it down to bare minimum here. <laughs> yeah, we've blown that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be a good teacher. Yeah. Um, so I've, to get back to basics. I'm a widow of 10 years. Um, yeah, you're on. Just keep it up here. Okay. I'm a widow of 10 years. Um, back when my husband passed away, I had a choice of um, drawing closer to God or, you know, just kind of just going off and doing my own thing. So the way I see prayer is just a relationship. I made a choice to make a relationship with the Lord, 
and that goes up and down. That's prayer. I'm just talking to him all the time. He's my fa- best father, best friend, best husband, um, mm. and that's my relationship is first. That's just prayer. That's just talking. Um, things I need, things I'm happy about, things that I need help with my kids. You know, back in that time, they were growing up, four boys with no dad. Um, and so I just desperately clung to the Lord in prayer. And then as, you know, you get filled up, you want to give out. And prayer giving out is awesome. God, um, I, I wrote down two verses um, that I can't see right now. Uh, for my, my verses are First thir- Thessalonians, I can't say that. 517, pray without ceasing. So that was my, that is still my um, focus on prayer. And the second verse I I put down was what we were talking about today, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So prayer going out is that being an ambassador. And if Mm -hmm. I give my, I start you know, talking to the Lord in the morning, what am I going to do today, Lord? What do you want me to do? Just, I'm available. Your availability is, is really what God wants. He wants your relationship. He wants your availability. And without fail, if I make myself available, God will put people in my path, uh, patients, family members, families at work, uh, coworkers, um, that I have opportunity to pray with them throughout the day. And it's just amazing. And like, I work in a busy environment, and things will just stop suddenly, and I'll have this great opportunity to pray with somebody. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking um, you know, for God's like, assignment for the day, and it's just a day-by-day thing. It's like Jesus went and talked to the Father in the morning and said, okay, Father, what am I to do today? And before the crowds came, he did that one-on-one prayer, and then Throughout the day, I'm sure he was, he was always listening to the Father. What do I do here? What do I, you know, has to draw in the dirt for a little while until he hears what to do. <laughs> and sometimes we have to wait and just listen to the Holy Spirit, who is our friend and helps us to hear uh, so that we can pray with people and um, lead them uh, to that relationship that we are privileged to have uh, ourselves. And it's... Um, not being, you know, I'm not perfect at it. I get busy like everybody else does, and I get fo- my focus gets off. And then you hear the Lord gently saying, hey, you know, I have somebody over here, so just pay attention. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. If you want to talk to Debbie about that at all, if you want to grow in vibrant prayer, she's somebody I would recommend to talk to. Thank you, Debbie. Last, definitely not least, Sir Dave. Dave, what do you do for a living? Not much. <laughs> Work down here at a shop uh, on hydraulic equipment for power plants. Okay. And uh, from what I've learned, it's a pretty high intense, it intensity can, it can job. Be, yeah. Okay. Based, yeah. So let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's one thing that you're doing to engage in the mission by holding to the value of cross-cultural mission? Uh, okay. So I just need to say one thing about 20-some years ago. Uh, some of us took a cross-cultural trip to Mexico to do some work there. Hmm. And it was in, during that trip that the Lord changed, just did something in my heart that um, has uh, remained changed, you know. He, he did something in my heart uh, on that trip, and it changed my outlook on people. So um, currently... Uh, 
one of the big things I think is is trying to assist the uh, church in Roanoke, who uh, uh, is a church, a Free Methodist church of brothers and sisters from Central Africa, and uh, so there's definitely some cultural differences there, and uh, so trying to be a support uh, there. Yeah. Um, I have uh, some neighbors that are. Uh, uh, it's a cross-cultural trip to walk across the yard. And um, uh, so trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, with my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think the one thing that I want to get across is that uh, in our society today, um, cross-cultural uh, mission is, is mission. Um, you, you, you would literally have to put your head in the sand to not interact with people of different cultures. Right. Just to come to church, thank goodness, uh, just to go to the store, just to go to the neighborhood, whatever it is, you would have to actively avoid other people to not be involved in cross-cultural relationships. Mm. Ministry is an, mission is another issue then, right? Where we want to be, uh, we want to be aware of the differences in our cultures. But I think what the Lord changed in me, the biggest thing was to value people that are different than me. Mm. Um, and to value people that I would have overlooked yeah. prior to that. Um, so, on a day-to-day basis, there's an intentionality about seeking out people of other cultures that, you know, whether, no matter how we feel about it, the world has come to us. Mm-hmm. And um, it is such an opportunity to be involved with other cultures and to uh, be able to, to show love, show people that they, value, that they have value, and to have to offer the hope that Jesus gives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a great thing. And uh, I just would say one quick thing, that the... The Free Methodist Church, I know this isn't a plug for the Free, but has embraced this well, yeah. uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very thankful that God is using the Free Methodist Church in general and ours to engage other cultures. Amen. Amen. If you want, to, uh, I was going to say, if you guys want to talk with Dave about how to potentially get engaged with Crocs Cultural Mission, I know that he would be somebody to talk to. We will be going to Roanoke soon to help them as soon as we can get some things ironed out. So when that, uh, that information starts going out and you want to participate, goodness, sign up for it, okay? Um, can you guys give them a round of applause for coming up and, and being vulnerable? Thanks, guys. You guys can make So in, in all that we've talked about and in all that we've heard, the easiest thing for you to do would be, oh, there's people doing it. I'll just, I'll just stick to my routine. 
I stick to what I know, what I'm comfortable with. I don't think I've ever seen in God's word where it says that comfort now in ease of life is what God promises us. The Christian life is one of sacrifice. He bids us come and die and find that we might truly live. So my ultimate question, what I'm asking you today, and I think what Debbie said is right on point, are you available to be engaged? Are you willing? If you're not willing, then goodness, there's conversations not needed anymore. But are you willing? Are you willing to be engaged? Are you willing to be involved in this? Are you willing? Are you available in all that we've talked about and reconciling people back to God? Guys, when I ask this question, I'm not asking, hey, you need to quit your job and go into full-time ministry. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking that you can be able to detail the five different solas of the Reformation or that you can explain the kenosis theory or that you can explain why Adam didn't have a belly button. I'm not asking you to be so theologically equipped that you can answer every question that may come your way. That's not what this is about. You know what I'm also not saying? I'm not saying that you have to be a certain level of godliness to be available for this. I'm not saying that you have to be mature enough at this level of maturity in order for you to be effective in this. No, every believer, no matter if they were born again this morning, can be leveraged by God for the mission of reconciling people back to him. You're always valuable in his eyes and you're always useful, no matter where you are in your walk. Now, it turns out as you grow and are, as you are transformed, it seems to be more fruitful and effective in the mission. But, but I'm not getting at that. What I'm simply asking when I ask, are we engaged? What I'm asking is, are you willing? Are you willing to say like Isaiah said when the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? What was his response? He said, here am I. Here am I. Are you willing to say that? So at this time, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes. I realize that this is a personal thing. And and, and when I ask this question, um, some of you might not feel ready. Some of you might not feel like you're in a position of of life where where you can do this. It's okay, I understand. Um, But what I want to ask, sometimes when we make commitments in our hearts, they come to true fruition when we hold ourselves accountable with one another and we're willing to make that commitment to the Lord with our brothers and sisters intimately. So what I want to ask of you this morning is I want to ask if you are willing to be engaged in this mission, if you're willing to accept this mission as your own, would you, with your eyes closed, would you stand? Would you stand if you're willing to engage in this mission of multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ? And as you stand, I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you that we would agree together. Praise God. We'll work to equip you. We'll work with you to grow in this. But goodness, this starts here and now. We will be a church who multiplies faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Let me pray over you. Father, our shared agreement this morning is that you are worthy enough for us to devote our lives to this, to to lay down our own causes and, 
in our own efforts and dreams and pick up the banner of Christ and carry it out into the world, that we would be his ambassadors, that we would represent this reconciliation that you've won for us in Christ, that we no longer have to be far from God, but we can draw near through Christ. God, I pray for this body of believers here, those who are standing today, that you would equip them evermore, that you would get rid of any fear that might cause them hesitancy. I pray, God, that ultimately there would be this vigor and this flame that cannot be quenched when the trials roll in, as they will when anybody who's making effective work in the kingdom of God, Satan seeks to devour that, to destroy it. God, I pray that when the trials roll in and the tests start to come, I pray, God, that that flame would not flicker out, but that it would only be purified and enraged. God, I pray that the flame would be within us to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what it may look like in our lives, no matter how you've gifted us. God, I pray that this body would get to being about the mission that you've given us. You've entrusted us. You've equipped us. We offer ourselves to you that we might be engaged in this. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.